0: We return this morning to Matthew chapter 6. We continue our study beginning at verse 9. For the next number of weeks, we will be looking at that unique expression of our Lord Jesus as a part of his messianic manifesto, commonly understood to be that which it is not. The Lord's Prayer. It is indeed a model prayer for disciples. It is the prayer assigned to the generation living between the two advents. He came. People of God pray like this. He comes again. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. and the glory forever. And all God's people say, Father, we thank you this morning for this model. In context, we are forbidden to use it as a repetitious thing. But it is for us a model of the high road of praying in truth even as we would understand the necessity that we preach the truth and only the truth. So help us as our God. Help us in today as we begin to look at this model prayer and today connect it to the truth that is on the minds of Christians worldwide. And for that, we'll thank you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Peter said, him, God, raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead, Acts 10, 40 and 41. No doctrine of God's truth can be separated from the truth of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ on this day. As we begin to study the model prayer given by the Lord Jesus and make particular emphasis upon directing prayer to God the Father, we look to Peter's presentation of the truth of Christ's resurrection to Gentile Cornelius in the terms of God the Father's action in raising Jesus Christ our Lord. All the pronouns in the Acts 10 verses read, all the pronouns to him in Peter's testimony refer to God the Son, Jesus the Christ. All the references to God, Acts 10, 40, 41, refer to God the Father, who acted in triune concert with God the Spirit to raise our Lord Jesus on the third day. Peter's eyewitness testimony of the resurrected Christ plays large in our understanding of prayer being directed to God the Father, our Father which art in Heaven, On this day, for us, here at the First Baptist Church of Elto, the doctrine of righteous direction in prayer meets up with the calendar celebration of the Lord's resurrection. I remind you that what we have before us flows out of the mouth of our living Lord as a model prayer after introducing the subject of prayer as part of his messianic manifesto, beginning at verse 5. And when thou prayest. Our Lord said, do not pray like hypocrites pray. Don't pray like heathen people do. Rather, pray like this. This reminds us of the grammatical structure looming over the entire sixth chapter in which the Lord uses five illustrations to help his listeners grasp the demand of God for personal piety and heart devotion. Previously, in our study, we have covered the devotional topic of giving, Matthew 6, 1-4, and then we introduce the topic of right-minded and right-hearted prayer, beginning at verse 5 what we said last week about hypocrisy, what we said last week about the way that pagan people pray repetitiously, saying the same words over and over and over and over and over again are forbidden us by our living Lord. And then Jesus goes on to give to us, as it were, a model prayer. This reminds us again of that truth that we are not to take these exact words and just mouth them in perfunctory repetition, but rather we are to enter into the spirit and the heart cry of prayer as set forth and modeled by our Lord. After addressing the misdirected manner of hypocritical prayer uh, that is often seen among men, Verse 5, and the misdirected manner of repetitious prayer as forbidden us in verse 7. King Jesus then said, After this manner, therefore pray ye. Verse 9. The word manner is translated from the common Greek word meaning thus and so. Pray thus. And so, the word therefore points us back to verse 5 and back to verse 7. Jesus, true to the identified structure, said, Don't pray like that, verse 5, verse 7. Pray like this, verses 9 through 13. Two additional observations quickly before we get into the heart of the first phrase. There is herein no specified time place or posture assigned to personal prayer and right-minded devotion. There is no bad time to pray. There is no bad place to pray. There is no required particular posture that one must uh, put his body in in order to pray. Herein is no specified time, no specified place, and no specified Posture. So much of religion is all about hitting the time, hitting the place, and hitting the posture. It's interesting that this model prayer includes none of that. Secondly, the plural use of the pronoun ye affirms the cherished doctrine that all God's children talk to their father. All God's children pray. All believers have priestly praying access and opportunity before God. That is a huge biblical truth for you and I to rejoice in on this Lord's Day. And I'd like you to consider with me the insight and the instruction that we have regarding prayer that calls upon God as our Father in heaven. Verse 9 again, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven. We begin this morning with the fact that the model prayer Jesus gives addresses God as Father. The actual spoken term most Jewish children would have used in the first century would be Abba, the Hebrew word for father. Aramaic term adopted by the Hebrews Abba is in English the word father and in the Greek language the word pater, as in paternity. Uh, It is... uh, Uh, A term, pater, uh, father, uh, abba, it is a term of relational tenderness and toughness, a relational uh, tender-tough connection. It reflects a relation of tender toughness, a head of household, one who leads, one who feeds, and one who protects the family. Father, pater, abba. Theologically speaking, the fatherhood of God must be understood with three distinct but related truths. First, God is, in one way, everyone's or everybody's father, in the sense that God is the father creator of all things. When Paul addressed the philosophers in Athens, as recorded in Acts 17, he told them that all men are God's offspring. He was certainly not teaching that all men have a family relationship with the great God of heaven and earth, but that God is the source or the origin of all things. When we talk about the fatherhood of God, we first reference God as Father creator. Secondly, when we talk about the fatherhood of God, we recognize that God as father presents to us God as king or ruler over all the universe. Uh, He is not uh, just uh, the creator of it, but of course he is also the controller of it and the sustainer of it all according to his sovereign fatherly will. And so when we talk about the fatherhood of God, we not only think about God in terms of of, uh, creation, but we also think of fatherhood of God in terms of rule or head of house, as is stamped upon uh, the family unit on earth by God's creative design. The fatherhood of God reminds us of God the creator, reminds us of God uh, the sustainer, of God the one who leads and feeds and protects, God who rules. And so we have God creator and God the ruler. Thirdly, the fatherhood of God is understood in terms of God the redeemer, one who acts to rescue sinful mankind and draw unto himself a peculiar people. This is that new covenant prophecy and promise that we have often referenced in Jeremiah chapter 31. In the Hebrew scriptures, there are a total of 15 references to God as Father Creator, Father Ruler, and Father Redeemer. 15 references, Genesis to Malachi, concerning God as Creator and ruler, and redeemer. In the New Testament, there are 250 references to God as Father. That means that for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ, there is a capacity to understand and to embrace and to respond to God. As our Heavenly Father in a way unlike anyone who has walked this planet in generations past. You and I ought to thrill with the reality of calling upon our Father which is in heaven. The term Father designates the first person of the divine triunity. Jesus, while on earth, often prayed, to his heavenly Father. And he said, of course, that he was one and same as the Father. The book of Hebrews is studied, characterizes the first member of the Godhead as the father of the family of God. And Hebrews characterizes God the Son as our elder brother. Not everyone is rightly identified as a part of God's family. And Jesus also spoke those sobering words to some that were rejecting him, saying that they were of their father, the devil. John eight forty four. In one of the most beloved verses of Scripture, the Apostle John said that as many as received Jesus Christ, to them gave he the authority or power to become the sons or children of God, John one twelve. King Jesus, therefore, in his messianic manifesto, taught kingdom citizens to pray to the Father as did he. That is a significant instruction that ought to impact our understanding of our approach to God. Secondly, the model prayer that Jesus gives addresses God as our Father. By faith in Christ, God is surely my Father, yet we are instructed of our Lord to pray our Father. Jesus only can rightly pray, My Father, for He is the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. First from the womb of Mary without a man, and then first from the tomb, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ uniquely can reference My Father, Because as the God become man, he is indeed first uh, out from the womb of the God-pleasing kind. And he is first out from the tomb as the first fruits of those that will put their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, when you approach a day like today and you're engaged in a regular exegetical study, verse after verse after verse in the Bible, there is always that sense of of pressure upon you because the world expects you to bow and curtsy exactly as they think you will. Uh, They know the songs we sing today. They know the scriptures we'll preach today. uh, They think they know everything about it of what we have to say when they know absolutely nothing at all. And yet... There's no reason to abandon any one text as you emphasize the grand truth of resurrection because there's no text of scripture that can't be directly connected to it, as we have seen already in the introduction of this particular emphasis today, and I'll show you more here in just a few moments. Nonetheless, Jesus, of course, as the unique Son of God, capital S, Son of God, creates that avenue by which we can, by faith in him, be sons of God, he rightly prayed, my father. We rightly pray, our father. And it is somewhat striking that there is not a singular pronoun in the entire model prayer. It's as if the Lord in his model would teach us. Pray like this and ever be mindful that you are not an only child. Don't you dare take the attitude of a spoiled, rotten, only child. Because God has children, not a child, by faith in Jesus Christ. And on that basis, we are to pray our Father. As one trusted commentator says, we pray holding up to God what is best for all, not just any one of us, in the family of God. Both the noun father and the pronoun our underscore family structure and relationship with Almighty God. Jesus taught his disciples to pray our Father. He did not teach his disciples to pray the Our Father. What did I just say? Jesus modeled for us the way that we approach God as our Heavenly Father. Jesus did not teach us to simply repeat and mouth these words over and over and over. It is clear in the context of the passage, which began back at verse 5, that repetition of the same words over and over and over again are forbidden us as kingdom citizens. The use of the title for this model prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer, as has often been said, is somewhat misdirected. And the use of the prayer itself in repetition is forbidden us in context. And yet, what a beautiful model for us as those that have been touched by the Spirit of God with understanding of the Word of God to approach God in regular prayer after this fashion. Kingdom citizens can. And kingdom citizens do call upon God as our Father. They do and can call upon God as our Father in heaven. And that too is a significant thing to think upon and meditate on this Lord's Day morning. This part of the motto reminds us to balance our family sense of Intimacy with almighty God, uh, with holy awe and reverence. Now it's easy in earthly relationships, it's easy for the familiarity of family uh, to break down the kind of structure that is most helpful and loving and, uh, and truthward. Uh, uh, I'll show you what I mean. When I was a kid, my dad, used to call me knothead, and he particularly called me knothead when I did something that was knotted of head. You know, when you do something that a kid does, uh, he'd call me knothead. Now, every once in a while, he's 90, of course, every once in a while, uh, when I'm around him, which isn't much, but once in a while, when I'm around him and I start to do something, he says to me, now, don't be the knothead. And it just invokes a huge amount of, of things in my mind and my heart from when I was a snotty-nosed kid running around the 1220 Webster Street house in Bay City. My name was Knothead. You call me that, I'll punch you. I want you to know that, but nonetheless, Knothead. Well, my dad, who was very strict with me and very strict with my brother, was an old softie with my sister. Anything like that in your family? My dad was very strict with me. He's very strict with Tom, but boy, was he easy with Tammy. I'm Tim. I'm number one. Tom, number two. Tammy, number three. Tom got pretty much the same strictness that I got, but Tammy, oh, man, everything in Tammy's life was skating on clear ice from Dad. Tammy was about, uh, I don't know, maybe 17 or 18 when one time Sherry and I, we already had Our family started, and we went home. Tammy's significantly younger than I am. And uh, and we went home uh, for a visit, and uh, I walked in the house, and Tammy and my dad were talking, and she called him Wally. His name is Walter. But she called him Wally. I was kind of shocked because I would never... Uh, uh, from the way that I was raised, from the way that I was brought up, I would never refer to my dad as Walter, let alone Wally. And I thought to myself, only my spoiled, rotten little sister could get away with that. Now listen, you and I are part of the family of God. And one of the big problems we have in prayer is what I'm going to call the Wally fact. You and I had exercise some caution, some diligence. And there is a part in this model prayer that would immediately snap us to attention and cause us to balance our family tender familiarity with holy, heavenly posture. Jesus said... When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven. That part of the model prayer reminds us to balance our family sense of intimacy with Almighty God, with a sense of awe and due reverence. God is ever near us but god is ever far above us god is ever near and always far and you and i think wrongly about god if we only think about god in the terms of near God is, indeed, our Abba, our heavenly Abba, our tender Father. But he is the one and only transcendent God. Theological term, transcendent God, which means he's way up there and has to bend way down low. To connect with you and me. The one to whom we pray is the sovereign God of heaven, the God of all power, the God of all authority. And you and I are wise to think through and meditate upon some of the practical ramifications of this little phrase, Our Father which art in heaven. There is tenderness there to remind us of God's nearness. But there is transcendency there reminding us that God is far above His children, far above all creation. There is no one else like God. Father, Son, and Spirit. Praying to our Father which art in heaven invokes the truth of tenderness and toughness by the title Father, and it invokes the truth of tribe. As in God's tribe or family. But the word our, or by the word our. And then by invoking residency in heaven. We have a sober reminder of God's transcendence. So here's the T words that I wrote down in the margin of my Bible. Tenderness. Toughness. Tribe. Transcendence. Our Father which art in heaven. Tenderness. Toughness. Tribe. Tribe and transcendence. He is far above us while near and ever loving to us. We pray to the transcendent, tender, tough head of tribe. Say that one more time. We pray to the transcendent, tender, tough head of tribe, God's tribe. God's family. Fearing God, as you know, is the beginning of wisdom, and we must never allow familiarity to breed in us any sense of content. We must avoid the Wally factor concerning our spiritual relationship with our Father, which art in heaven. Listen to the words of Haddon Robinson concerning this. The Bible keeps the tension between intimacy and awe. The writer of Hebrews said, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The fact that we come to a throne should fill us with awe. But because it is a throne of grace, it is obviously approachable. The sovereign, almighty God of the universe has allowed us, because of Jesus Christ, to approach him in prayer and to address him as our Father. And then listen to the uh, uh, dead old buddy of mine from generations past, R.A. Torrey. He wrote, prayer is to be offered unto God. But some will say, is not all prayer offered unto God? No. Very much of so-called prayer, both public and private, is not unto God. In order for a prayer to be really unto God, there must be a definite and conscious approach to God when we pray. We should make sure that we really seek an audience with God that we get into his very presence. Before a word, a petition is offered, we should have a definite and vivid consciousness that we are talking to God. So said R.A. Torah. I have a, a dear man and mentor in my life. He was never my pastor. He was an agency representative, but nonetheless a dear man of God that had impact in my life. And I can recall so often when listening to Arnold pray that one of the first things that he always did when he prayed when we were together, was to express his thanksgiving and gratitude to God for the privilege of access and audience with God. He was ever thankful for, uh, I can get a hold of God. I can connect with God. Uh, I call the number, he always answers. Uh, he was always thankful for access. And he was always thankful for audience with God. Our addressing God in prayer capitalizes on the truth of family relationship near and God far above us. Family and far, or as we've taught it previously, abba and awe. Abba and awe is the only right way to approach God. In communication. The question then is this morning, how does this instruction impact our desire and practice of prayer? Three things quickly. One, it underscores the necessity of access to the Father by King Jesus. We are privileged to have audience with God by simply bowing our hearts before him. Two, it sobers us to grasp that much of what is called prayer isn't at all. Does God hear everything? Absolutely. Does God hear all prayer? Absolutely not. Does God hear everything? Absolutely. Does God hear all prayer? Absolutely not. I hope you understand that. If not, I'd welcome your question. Three, it commends us to keep that godly tension between Abba and awe, between tenderness and familiarity of the family and transcendence. Lest you think that we have somehow directed our minds away from the glorious truth of resurrection I'd like to conclude this morning uh, by reading a little bit uh, from Peter. We started with Peter and his reference to the resurrection of Christ by uh, the power of the Father uh, as uh, Peter preached it in Acts chapter 10, verses 40 and 41. I'd like to end with Peter uh, uh, this morning, uh, as it were. And if you look at 1 Peter chapter 1 in conclusion, uh, you have a phenomenal statement made here in verses 3 to 5, 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, That phrase right there becomes very significant in light of the model prayer under study, especially on this day in which particular calendar emphasis is made upon the resurrection of Christ. Again, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy, His abundant mercy, the Father's abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, we pray to God the Father in the name of His risen Son, We pray to God the Father in the name of his risen Son. You cannot disconnect your prayers from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was wounded for you and me. Jesus was risen for you and for me. And until the Lord Jesus returns, You and I pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. Father, may there be more than understanding. May there be godly resolve and practice of prayer in this regard. Thank you for a wonderful and beautiful Lord's Day. And bless us now as we respond in kind with the singing once again of our little song, Wounded for Me, Risen for Me, it points our hearts and minds back to the Lord Jesus. We ask your blessing upon the flock today, for we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.